0: This is the politicalbetting.com polling matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, it's silly season on tonight's polling matters podcast where we look at what the public think about different conspiracy theories related to aliens, the moon landing, whether the earth is flat and other conspiracy theories with some exclusive polling from Opinium as part of our politicalbetting.com Opinion polling series. Um, But before we get there, and I am very excited to get there. I think this is something a bit different for the podcast today and there's some really interesting things we've tested. Um, Let's talk about more serious matters uh, to begin. Later we'll be talking about Boris Johnson and the burqa and what's going on there, just what is Boris playing at. But first um, to the Labour Party. So Jeremy Corbyn has faced a bruising week Um, yet another one it feels like, after being accused of laying a reef in memory of the founders of Black September terrorists in Tunis. This was back before he was um, Labour leader. He says he was there honouring those killed in a 1985 Israeli airstrike, Um, but others obviously see this as a pattern of behaviour. So the latest row places uh, more pressure on Jeremy Corbyn, who's already uh, struggling to repair his relationship with the British Jewish community. Um, and we expect there to be something of a fractious Labour Party conference to come in the autumn. Um, but will this actually affect him in the polls or affect the Labour Party in the polls? Um, that's something we're going to be discussing right now. So, Leo, uh, welcome back to Polling Matters. Hello, Kieran. So what do you make of this um, this Jeremy Corbyn stuff? I mean, I suppose the easy, the easy way to look at it is to say, well, you know, this is a... It's going, to, it's going to be something seen through a partisan lens and it's not really going to move the dial. I mean, what what do the numbers tell us, if anything?
1: So there's a way of looking at that is kind of, as you put it there, the kind of political raw such ch- test, uh, the sense that if you like Corbyn, then you see this as the MSM and the right-wing Labour Party Uh, a plp and so on all out to get him if you don't like Corbyn, you see this as further evidence that he's an anti-semite and uh, a hypocrite and so on Um, and i mean that's true to an extent but i think what we've got to keep in mind here is that most people don't have deeply held convictions about what they think about Corbyn. So most people engage with the news about him as and when they hear it. And right now, they, they're they hearing a bit of news about him occasionally, which is once again saying um, that he is in trouble with his party and uh, with the Israeli government over these accusations, members of his party are criticising him. That's not great for a party leader, to put it mildly. Um, and in terms of what that means for numbers, we haven't seen anything yet. None of the polls that I've seen at least have uh, given us uh, voting intent numbers since it came out. I think it'd be surprising if if the party didn't take that much of a hit um, or didn't take some hit because of it. But the truth is we've seen for a while that the Labour Party's vote share seems to be relatively independent of people's views about Corbyn. Corbyn, if you look... Purely in terms of his favourability, his popularity looks like he should be a drag on the Labour Party. He's less popular than the party in general. Um, But, yet Labour is and has been polling relatively well in historic terms. I mean, uh, relative to the Tories, it's obviously not doing great. But uh, the sort of high 30s, even 40 kind of level, it's hard to argue that these negative ratings are really pulling down the party that much, perhaps.
0: I think it's worth dwelling a bit on the voting intention figures and and all the usual health warnings should be applied here. You know, what are we like? We don't know when the next general election will be. um, So modelling the electorate is very hypothetical, very uncertain. But if you take the voting intention polls at face value as at least an indicative read of what's going on, um, the two main parties are pretty neck and neck and that's not really changing. I noticed um, the last couple of days... There was a poll, oh, it's gone out of my head who it was from. It may have been from BMG that had Labour two points ahead. Yeah, and that was BMG. That was BMG. And and a lot of uh, Corbyn supporters, I think Paul Mason was one of them, was tweeting this out as, you know, thank you mainstream media, can we have some more? But I think, and there was a, a poll last week, I believe from YouGov, might be wrong, that had the Tories four points ahead, that seemed like something of an outlier. So I think if we, if we take the sort of long view, or at least the last couple of months view, on voting intention, it seems like the Tories had a dip that looked damaging to them after checkers. There's some debate about whether that's permanent or not with UKIP's vote share and so on. But the two main parties are pretty neck and neck, and there's no obvious sign of a, a, a Corbyn crash. Um, I suppose a wider question though, Leo, and I, I guess this is a speculation to some extent, is in the absence of this crisis could Labour be doing better? Because would the focus be more on the Tories' um, struggles over Brexit? You know, I mean, I don't know what you think about that.
1: Well, in the absence of, well, as a result of this crisis, we don't know how Labour are doing. As I say, I would imagine if there had been a poll taken right now, I don't know if there will have been one, then I reckon Labour might lose a point or two because of it, perhaps because it's been fairly high profile. But, um... You know, we've got to take a a longer view, which is these crises are coming and going for Labour. And at the time that that's happening, then the polls are roughly level. Tories are ahead for a couple of months, Labour are ahead for a a month or two. now, if there were none of these crises, if, if Labour was entirely united and completely able to take the fight to the Tories and there were no disputes about Corbyn's leadership and everyone was happy and there was no sense of anti-Semitism being a potential problem for the party, then sure, yeah, I'm convinced that Labour would be further ahead. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it would be very surprising if this wasn't hurting the party.
0: What strikes me is just the way that um, Labour and the Labour leadership, by which I mean Corbyn, and but not just Corbyn, the people around him, um, it's, it's just how they they don't seem to handle this stuff very well. Um, Stephen Bush has written, as usual, some really great stuff on this. And I mean, look, you know, I'm someone that people know my journey. I was very critical of his him becoming Labour leader. I've tried to be more constructive about um, basically his political chances rather than necessarily my personal views on him. And I've been criticised by some listeners because of that. But I did I did, I did sort of give my both barrels view if you like earlier this week about how just terrible this tunis stuff was but what strikes me is just there seems to be an inability to actually react to it um as a political crisis effectively you know i mean he hasn't where's this set piece speech he's going to come out with and sort of lay this stuff to rest i feel like there's even though the media does hammer him i feel like there are the old rules of the game which are if the leader's under pressure they come out they deal with the issue and the media sort of goes okay that's been dealt with let's move on and they just don't seem to as Stephen bush said concede and move on do they
1: well yeah but i guess the point is it's not obvious that that's something that they accept needs to be done i mean it's there's clearly a sense oh, that clearly, yeah. um that it's it's not that they think um they've made a mistake and they need to accept it it's that there is there are part, parts of the leader's office um who who obviously do think that that this is um not the result of mistakes and you know. Um, and I guess the point is, it's not just about this one. You can't you can't just put this one in a box and say, okay, this was a mistake, and then move on. If 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 the lead, the leads office were to attempt to kind of continue to move on, there's an awful lot of things that you need to put a box around, and it's pretty central to Corbyn's history. So I don't think it's something that plausibly can be addressed in the speech without it being a major major move by him, which I think is pretty unlikely. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, the point that I keep on coming back to with, with him and attacks like this is he's faced a lot of these criticisms since he's become leader. And sure, his, I mean, his his current satisfaction score in Maury's latest is bad. It's, it's minus it's 30. That's that's about level with William Hague and Ed Miliband when they were leaders. Um, but I just think that it's more complicated than that because, uh, yeah, he's divisive and a lot of people really dislike him. But his brand as as a sort of open internationalist um, liberal with a lowercase L uh, leader is something that I I just can't can't escape the feeling that pulls Labour up despite his negative personal ratings. So I just. He gives Labour an
0: authenticity which helps the brand, maybe.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, his policies may be essentially interchangeable with Miliband's, uh, but there's something about his character and his reputation that I think is inextricable from the reasons why he's unpopular that actually helps with a lot of voters, even if it's divorced from the reality of his policies and does also bring other baggage.
0: Yeah, something to something to keep watching. Um, I noticed that Gordon Brown came out reasonably strongly for Gordon Brown. He's usually the king of the coded message. Not not maybe not the king. Maybe um, David Miliband's the king. But um, yeah, Gordon Brown came More out the today.
1: Page boy of the coded message. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, like we're we're not we're not a, a strongly worded letter in the Guardian territory quite yet. But um, uh, Gordon Brown said today uh, he, he cannot um, of Corbyn. He cannot sustain. Um, particularly what he is saying about the international agreement on what we do about attitudes to both the Holocaust and to Israel. So he's talking about the IHRA uh, definition, I think, here. And he says, I I predict uh, to you that's going to change within a few weeks. I believe uh, that it will change, um, but even that will not be enough. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, uh, Gordon Brown doesn't tend to come out too critically, and even that's a little bit coded, but... Um, it just shows that these talks of splits and divisions within the labor party are going to come to a head to at least some extent in 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 september i suspect at conference
1: yeah i mean i guess there's sort of there's two different ways of of addressing it if indeed they do think that there's something to address there's um the kind of mega speech and and radical shift that that we've just talked about which i think seems very unlikely and then i guess there's the incremental technical change where they adopt the ihra definition and they do a bit better outreach to to mainstream jewish groups and so on and i wonder whether that is actually possibly a plausible path because it might be enough to head off a split among labor mps which people seem to be talking about as more plausible than they were six months ago um without having to require Corbyn to fundamentally change and disown a lot of what he's done in the past. So perhaps there is a way of solving yeah. it that doesn't really kind of shift the public or require that much of him but is enough to keep Labour MPs on board.
0: I mean the purpose of today's converse- uh, conversation isn't to talk about splits but I just as a, just in passing I don't see that as credible. I think that it makes much more sense for Labour MPs to h- hold it out and even if there is a Corbyn government, you know, you, in particularly a minority one then 20 or 30 sort of um, uh, Labour MPs that maybe aren't sympathetic to Corbyn and otherwise would split, they're going to be much more powerful in a future minority Labour government or or party than they would be um, sort of falling on their sword to all intents and purposes. Now, um, let's move on to other. It's not just been about Labour, though, in the last week or so. Um, Boris Johnson, former Foreign Secretary, uh, has had problems of his own. This is something I've been looking at. Um, he referred to niab wearers as, as letter boxes and bank robbers um but but didn't actually call for a ban uh, and this has caused obviously a lot of consternation um and i'm just curious about what what he's playing at but there was some before we get there um there was some polling from sky data uh last week which i um maybe chuckle a little bit because so here's some of the numbers would you support or oppose banning wearing burqas in public places 59% support 26% oppose do you think it is or is not racist to describe women in burqas as looking like letterboxes and bank robbers 33% think that's racist 60% don't um, do you think Boris Johnson should or shouldn't apologise for saying women in burqas look like letterboxes and bank robbers should 45 shouldn't 48 so um, what we had to hear was people kind of basically said well it wasn't being racist I think I think it should be banned. but he should probably apologise for being offensive feels terribly British
1: Mm. yeah well I think that's I mean I don't I don't agree but I think it's a relatively unsurprising um, sort of player to public opinion which is I guess a lot of people don't like uh, or have a very high threshold for what is considered racist but a much lower threshold for what's considered offensive so I guess that's the point here right
0: yeah, I mean, I, I wonder how calculated this was. I mean, uh, it seems very calculated to me. You meet Steve Bannon and then two weeks later, he's, uh, or, or he's at least uh, it's been announced that he has or it's been leaked that he has. Two weeks later, he's creating this. Um... In reality, I have to say, I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but in reality, it's actually quite a tame row. I understand it's offensive. He should probably apologize for it, but he's not actually come out Trump-style calling for a ban in Muslim immigration to Britain or he's not even called for a ban in the burqa itself, full stop. He's kind of done this classic Boris thing of... He's written an article which I think he's kind of... He's actually said, oh, it shouldn't be banned, but here's some Boris, quote-unquote, affable comment, ha-ha-ha. And then he's ran away, um, and he's made tea for some journalists. Um, This is playing to the Tory grassroots, though, isn't it? I mean, is, is this basically as simple as he just still wants to be Tory leader?
1: Yeah, I mean... That it's because uh, we, we were talking like about this
0: off moment. air, yeah, weren't we? We were talking about this off air and I was thinking to myself, what I can't quite work out in my head is, have we underestimated him? Because I think a lot of sort of pundits and people I respect greatly, and and, and I myself um, have 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 got come around to this way of thinking, have kind of dismissed him as a future Tory leader because maybe because of the dynamics of how that's chosen, um, and almost consider him yesterday's man. Now he's not foreign secretary anymore, but maybe that's wrong. I don't know.
1: So I think there's a plausible argument that he did notably badly as foreign secretary, and that's got to have hurt his chances. But let's sense check this. So um, the most recent reliable data we've got is a YouGov poll of uh, Conservative members from I think it was only last month, uh, where you know he he comes mid table. He's behind Rees Mogg, Javid, and Davidson, but ahead of plenty of the others. And given the way that the Tories are going to be deciding their leader, uh, where the MPs whittle it down to two over a series of ballots and then those two are put to members, then it seems pretty plausible that there's going to be effectively a Leave candidate and a Remain candidate from the MPs. Now, Mm. I think it might be a bit more complicated than that because there are people like Hunt who are kind of straddling both camps to an extent. He voted Um, Remain though, right? Right, but has uh, reinvented himself as an enthusiastic Leave, and more convincingly than than I think the party think that Theresa May has. Mm. Um, but it, so anyway, so if that's the case that there's a um, uh, that there is likely to be one Leave candidate, then Johnson effectively has to beat Rhys Mogg or say Andrea Leadsom uh, or whoever else might bubble up as a front runner from that side, or,
0: or convince Rhys Mogg not to run and to back him.
1: Well, possibly, yeah, some way or another, he's either got to beat them in the ballot or come top of that pile now. Because we, we, we don't know,
0: we don't know. Sorry, we don't know if mogg actually wants to run. For all, yeah, we yeah, know, of course,
1: yeah, yeah, sure, uh, yeah, maybe he doesn't. Um, I mean, because for all we know, he wants he'd to be have the a king very good chance and... of winning if he did, if he could get yeah. the, the nominations. But maybe he'll look around and think he's just got no chance of winning the ballot of MPs, which feels to me like his biggest obstacle. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the point is, if you're Johnson. What you've got to do right now, the first thing is to win that leave battle. So you've got to be the most popular lever among Tory MPs in Parliament. Now, how do you do that? By being quite right wing seems like a, a fairly way, a reasonable way of doing it, but also doing it in a way that kind of signals that you can you're in touch with the mainstream of the population and you're, you're still quite a liberal liberal kind of guy by saying that we're not going to ban it. So, yeah, I mean it would be fairly astonishing if he suddenly didn't want to be prime minister after a lifetime of how he wanted to be. And yeah, you know, how, how should he do it by doing things like this? Yeah. There was
0: a really, um, final word on this. There was a really interesting tweet from leave.eu earlier. Um, I haven't got it in front of me, but it, to paraphrase, it basically said, um, you know, we need a proper Tory, a, a proper conservative, um, Brexiter in charge of the government. And, um, it had a picture of Jacob Rees-Mogg and um, Boris Johnson on it, so maybe that's a sign that he's uh, he might be there somewhere.
1: Right, yeah, seems completely plausible. By the way, um, something else that that did strike me on this this subject that I thought was interesting, I was having a look at the um, Maury poll where they asked uh, the public um, whether various people would make a good prime minister, and uh, Maury pulled out the numbers on Uh, what Tory voters thought uh, about various candidates. They had Johnson, Hunt, Javid, and Gove. Um, And Johnson won, although his scores were still pretty bad, net minus 26, Um, uh, have what it takes to be a good prime minister. But the thing that really struck me that I'd never noticed before is that he is way more popular among men than among women. And Mo- and more, most popular among 35 to 54 year olds than he is among older people, um, and that that is that's among the, the wider public. So it's just quite striking that none of the other candidates have this gender split, and they are generally more popular among the 65 year olds, or certainly not uh, sorry over 65s, and certainly not most popular among the middle aged group. Uh, just interesting that. He sort of seems to be appealing to kind of middle-aged men above all else, a bit of a kind of top gear demographic, which mm. uh, I don't know, I'm uh, not sure exactly how that plays out e- e- electorally, but quite striking as something that I guess, now I saw it, makes sense that there's a slight sort of um, devil may careness uh, that uh, I guess doesn't appeal to to other demographics. But yeah, I just haven't seen that uh, picked up before.
0: Yeah, it is interesting. And I think that, I mean, I, I'm certainly. Ch- I, mean, I I'm certainly checking myself on this idea that it won't be Boris. I'm not saying it will be. I know that's a little bit of a hedge, but I, I think, I think you know, the conventional wisdom at the moment is that the Rees Mogg's, the Hunts, the Goves, the uh, Javid's are the ones to really watch on this uh, in terms of who the next Prime Minister will be. Um, but when you look at the levers, it's not hard to see Boris Johnson. Um, becoming that Leave candidate that you've mentioned, and the words of Asa Bennett, a friend of the show from the Telegraph uh, of a couple of weeks ago on the show, um, would do ring in my ears, where he he was adamant that the next Tory leader has to be a Brexiter. Not his personal view, but just he thinks politically, reading the Tory criminolo- <laughs> criminology, uh, pardon the pun, um, that you know that's what he thinks, and that's going to hurt some of those other candidates that some of us have money on. So uh, we'll have to uh, wait and see. Let's move on to Silly Season. So we have this uh, um, com survey, uh, nationally representative survey that we've put in the field over the last weekend. And really, it was just a reflection of the fact that normally in August there isn't a lot of politics. Maybe this is a different August. Who knows? Uh, And we call it Silly Season because there's all these stories that come out in the press. um, And we've looked at conspiracy theories. So we've asked about 13 different theories of relative... um, Varying seriousness, I think it's fair to say. Um, Please tell us whether you think each of the following is true or false. And we've given people the option of definitely or probably true, definitely or probably false, and and don't know. And there's 13 different ones, as I say. So without further ado, what we're going to do is go through these in like uh, reverse order, so like a a chart, if you like. So um, we're going to finish with the one that most people believed, and we're going to start with the ones that most people didn't. So here's three that had... uh, so 6% believed that the Earth is not a sphere, but it's actually a flat disk. So 6% of Brits believe in a flat Earth, and 8% respectively believe that Elvis didn't die in 1977 and lived for many years afterwards. Um, that shook me up. And uh, 8% also believe that Paul McCartney died in 1966 and was replaced by a lookalike who has portrayed him ever since, the most ludicrous conspiracy theory of all time. Um, what do you make of some of those numbers other than my horrific pun, Leo?
1: I made I wish I'd prepared a Beatles pun in advance. <laughs> um, so, uh, look, I mean, yeah, they're all eight, 8%, 6%. I think, effectively, these are basically zero, right? You know, the dirty secret of polling is that there's always a few percent of people who give silly answers that, well, either reflect the fact that they have completely incoherent, totally uh, uh, unjustifiable worldviews, or mean that they didn't they didn't read the polls properly. Yeah. Now it's hard, hard hard to ever get to the bottom of what's going on there, but effectively, when you've got six percent saying that they think the Earth is is flat that you could read that as, as effectively saying no one actually thinks it. And I think the, the
0: important point here is, and we'll get to this later, is that there is a difference. So we're focusing on the number that think these things are true just as a way of ranking them. But I suppose there is a difference between saying something's false and saying you don't know. And on these ones in particular, about 85% on average said each one was false. So this isn't in, in the minds of the public these things aren't disputed they are wrong they are not true whereas there's others we'll get to later that have uh, maybe because of lack of knowledge or maybe because of uncertainty that they're more likely to say don't know and that sort of thing so yeah i mean the flat earth one did surprise me a little bit it's not uncommon to see stories about that in the press is it um so right yeah quite-
1: it's very fashionable to uh to write to write about how in the in the era of like uh, oh, no one knows anything and like, the public are completely misled by, uh, by like unscienti- unscientific conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff, then getting someone from the Flat Earth Society to, to write about how they've got supporters all around the globe, boom, boom, uh, <laughs> almost as well. But, yeah, I mean, maybe in the US this would have done much better. I don't know. But I think the fact that only 6% say uh, you know, this, this should stop being a thing that, that journalists write about even in August.
0: As a huge Beatles fan, because it gives me the excuse to talk about the Beatles, I have to say that Paul McCartney being du- being dead and being replaced is just the silliest thing. I mean, if I if someone I knew was dead, let's say, you know, me and you are world famous polling podcast guys, and then it's not much of a stretch. It's not much of, <laughs> and and what happens is uh, you die horrifically, and you know, I I feel like I can't do polling matters without a Leo Barassi, so I have to replace you with a sounder like. Um, and then what do I do? I put like uh, clues in the podcast uh, to sort of uh, to sort of make sure that true fans will really know. Um, it's a-
1: every so often throw in a five minute digression about some weird number that I spotted once.
0: Yeah, <laughs> God, we could go we could go a long way into a rabbit hole with this. It's just so silly. Oh, uh, you know, we're really annoyed that we've replaced Paul McCartney with this random dude. But let's let's really get back to the media and the, not the, the media. guilt is
1: make it let's getting on top of this.
0: Yeah, let's get back to the uh, uh records recording studio by like putting backwards music in some songs to to really let people know. Anyway, let's get into the top 10. So 12% believe that the vapor tra- trails uh, emitted by jet engines uh, contain chemicals that have been added uh for secret and sinister purposes. 12% think that's true, 70% false. Um hor- horoscopes and star signs uh, can be used to accurately predict what kind of person uh what what kind of day a person will have 13% uh, true 78% false and vaccines cause autism in children 14% true 62%, 62% false
1: any of those stand out so i think all three of them are very interesting in different ways now the first one you said the um the vapor trails aircraft one what's known as the chem trail conspiracy mm-hmm. um is is an interesting one because it's um Probably something that many, maybe most listeners won't have heard of and might be wondering why it's included. But interestingly, it's actually really big in the US. So um, there was a study last year, I think um, maybe Nepal was a year before, that had between 30 and 40% of Americans believing it. Um, And it's a big thing. I mean, scientists are getting death threats on the basis of it um it's genuinely a seriously large community who think a lot of overlap with trump voters um but quite striking that it essentially doesn't exist here i mean a bit more than the flat earth stuff but it seems like that has so far been very much consigned to the us um horoscopes interesting that that's so low only 13 percent say it i think i would have guessed a bigger number
0: yeah, I mean, they're, they're still in most newspapers, aren't they? Granted, they're not exactly front page, but they're, they're still they still around in the horoscope. So you, you assume they're there because someone reads them. Um, well,
1: yeah, but I don't know. Maybe they are just there because they're fun and they're kind of a quirky tradition.
0: Mm, I guess so. Um, vaccines causing autism. I mean, I, I remember it felt like under the Blair years, this was a big political issue, wasn't it? I mean, this was, this was on the front page of The Express. and.
1: Yeah, right. And I mean, wasn't there, and uh, I can't comment. I believe but I mean maybe it was the blairs themselves but someone was asked whether they were going to vaccinate their children. I think it was the blairs. Um and I mean it's a tough question because uh, for a politician to get because either you say yes and it looks a bit like John Gummer feeding the the beef burger to his daughter um in the BSE crisis mm-hmm. showing my age here. Um <laughs> Or, and it look the point is you're kind of using your children for political purposes, or you don't answer, you say no, and then it looks like you're giving credence to the conspiracy theory. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it was it was big. Um, so, on the one hand, great that it's doing badly. On the other hand, you know, still only 35% say definitely false. 27% say probably false. So, Fourteen percent net true, sixty-two percent net false. I mean, doing badly, but still a lot better than, uh, say, the Earth being flat. And there's a lot of people who are unsure. Most people comfortably are in the middle. Probably false. Um, uh, sorry, no, um, forget that. Um, anyway, it does um, it does badly, but not terribly.
0: And, and the average is fourteen percent. Think it's true. Nineteen percent of Tories. So I wonder I just want I'm not I'm not saying that to criticize a voting block I'm just I wonder if that's a legacy of the uh the old uh, well, the papers that tended to go big on this, and and who, who typically reads them, and the Blair stuff. I don't know. um Let's move on to the next one, which really struck me. The world is secretly run by a group called the Illuminati. Fifteen percent said that was true. Seventy percent said that was false. And I'm going to put you on the spot, Leo. Which voting block do you think? Which group of voters do you think was most likely to uh, think that was to true? believe it? Yeah, that's
1: got to be UKIP, right?
0: It is twenty-four yes. percent of UKIP voters. Well done, Leo. Uh, Sample size of 145, 24% of UKIP voters think the world is run by a secret society called the Illuminati. No difference between Labour and Conservative, both 16% of those voters, and I think probably uh, unsurprisingly Leave voters, well actually slightly more, 16% of Leave voters versus 13% of Remainers. So really a UKIP thing, rather than a kind of Leave Remain or anything like that. And that's a bit of Alex Jones, isn't it? Not to be confused with Alexander uh, Jones, as you said, off air. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on uh, Yeah,
1: um, yeah. I mean, it just sort of feels right as a kind of the world is against us sort of stuff. Um I mean, this is the the fascinating thing about UKIP voters, right? That um, they're kind of their entries, people, and and leaders, and generally leaders of the Leave movement are very. Um, or broadly quite economically right wing, quite free market, quite empowering of big business um, and anti-tax. But actually, many, maybe most of their voters um, kind of want government to protect them and um, are, are scared about big corporations ruling over them.
0: Yeah, I think probably one thing to give, um, to, to, to sort of talk about with Labour voters, the fact that they're not more likely than Tories to think this suggests that I don't know, maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but there's this this idea that Corbyn voters are are a certain way, Corbyn supporters are a certain way. Well, maybe actually it's they're only conspiracy-orientated or or, uh, seeing conspiracies when it's related to Corbyn and Labour and it's not really a general uh, sort of uh, willingness to accept conspiracy theories overall, if that makes sense. I think because the idea of a secret society running the world isn't... that that sounds plausible. I mean,
1: I just wonder if there's something specific about the term Illuminati that sort of... It's very internet. It really resonate with... It, it, it and, is
0: very internet. I mean, it's a YouTube thing, isn't it? I don't know. It's an Alex Jones YouTube. Right. Cover. I
1: don't know. It also feels a bit old-fashioned. Yeah.
0: Um, let's move on to the top... What are we at now? Six... So the food poisoning that Ronaldo suffered on the eve of 1998 World Cup. Was he food poisoned? I have to ask the guy. I'm not sure about that. Um, between France and Brazil was secretly arranged by the French government to help France win. 15% think that's true. 57% think it's false. 28% don't know. So this is an example of uh, the don't know. Naturally, just as an aside, on the vaccines uh, causing autism in children, that was another one where there was a good chunk of people that didn't know. Let's move on from Ronaldo because I reckon a lot of listeners won't even know which Ronaldo that is.
1: <laughs> well i mean and the other thing about it is it's definitely true right i mean it's like the Thierry Henry handball and you know the way that the, the draw for that world cup was rigged and all that kind of stuff i mean it was obviously the french government behind it
0: <laughs> they're two different things leo the uh, well i'm not sure the french government was behind Thierry Henry's scumbag handball which was one of the worst crimes committed on a football field of all time i mean i could do a podcast on that
1: Absolute disgrace. Where was where? I knew I could get a rise out of you. Where, from that. where
0: was VAR then? I remember um, Courtney and I were in an Irish pub watching that, and that was absolute disgrace. Anyway, moving on because no one wants to hear my rantings about Thierry Henry, um, which are deeply held for several different reasons. Uh, one related to being a big Spurs fan. Um, so we're in the top five now. So the moon landings in 1969 were faked. So there was a recent um, piece on. Uh, I think it was this morning. Big segment they did based on 52% thinking that the moon landings were fake. Now, I haven't looked at the numbers again to see whether that was of the whole population or a certain age group. Um, I can't remember if it was under 34s or if it was everybody. But that seemed an implausibly large number to me. And so it has proven. Um, 16% of the British population think that the moon landings were faked. 71% think that's false. 13% don't know. Um, and if you look at young people, it is more. Um, it, is, it is a greater number um, than than that. But it's uh, about about twice as much as as, as it's, it's about half of the fifty two percent rather than um, the number that this morning Britain was saying. Let me dig it out. Um, yeah. So so twenty seven percent of uh eighteen to thirty four think the moon landing was faked. So it's still quite a high number, I suppose, Leo, but um, not the yeah, number that well, it, uh, it, this it, morning was saying. A, some,
1: something that I've noticed on that is that actually throughout these young people, 18 to 34s, um, having recently turned 35, I am resentful of the fact that 18 to 34s are the definition of young people, but I'm just going to leave that there. Um, They uh, So 18 to 34s are actually saying yes, saying true. To these more than older groups for most of them mm. quite sharply so just there's, there's a pretty big drop off from as you go up the age thing but interestingly on some of the most political ones many of which we haven't yet talked about we're going to get on to 1834s are not the most likely so it's as if they're kind of going along with the slightly quirky jokier ones but when it gets to a kind of more serious political one, it's like they've been kind of inoculated against it and they've already had that debate.
0: I hope it doesn't cause autism. Um, so let's move on to the top three. Uh, there is some kind of monster living in Loch Ness. I want to believe this, uh, but it's 17%. So, so far we haven't got we haven't got really above uh, 20% believing any of these, which is probably a good thing. Um, there is what our winner today does have um, more than 20% um, sort of believing it uh including 20 so 17 uh, percent think there's some kind of loch ness monster including 22 percent of scots so scots are flying the flag uh for nessie uh, and clearly uh clearly trying to get some tourism up there um what do you think about the loch ness monster leo uh
1: actually actually exists right yeah uh, it, it, it no it doesn't
0: <laughs> i like the idea of nessie existing uh but i suspect uh i suspect he or she is it she is she isn't it I suppose it's fictional.
1: Yeah, Nessie's quite a uh, feminine sounds, name, sounds I female, guess. Sounds female, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, we'll move on. So we move on to the top two are a bit more serious than some of the ones we've been talking Maybe about. Maybe you've
1: missed climate change.
0: Have I missed climate change? Oh, God. Yeah. Number four. Yeah. Yeah, man-made yeah. climate change is a hoax, 16%. How can I miss that in your company? It'd be good to
1: talk about that one, you
0: know, Yeah. if we can. You should write a book on it. Go on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Why Kieran missed climate change? Oh, I was just reading it reading wrong. Sorry.
0: Um, so yeah, climate change, uh, does, that, does that sort of, so um, man-made climate change is a hoax, 71% think that's false, 16% think it's true. Um, does that tally with what you've seen in your research?
1: Yeah, right. It fits with what we see in other polls, which is... Uh, Something like 10% really seriously believe that climate change isn't happening and it's all made up. A few of the people there are just saying this because it's a kind of political identity question more than anything. And actually, a reasonable number of those would still want uh, measures to to deal with emissions and to to try and limit climate change, even though they might be prepared to say that it's a hoax. Um, But the bottom line is sort of that notwithstanding, you know the numbers of people who are prepared to say that climate change is a hoax are on hopes are on a par with the numbers who say that the moon landing is a is it was faked that there's a group called the Illuminati running the world horoscopes are real that kind of stuff. So it's basically a tiny trivial fraction of public opinion who who think it. So if if the media are running articles and and seriously engaged with the question of why climate change denial is so widespread, I think they need to just look at these numbers and compare them.
0: <clears throat> Let's move on to the final two, uh, because t- time is running out. Um, so number two, the Israeli Intelligence Agency, it's all come full circle, is not it? Mossad it, are secretly working to bring down Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn. 19% true, 51% false, 30% don't know. Um, what do you make of those numbers?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, this is where we're starting to get into ones that people are actually beginning to, to get closer to believing. So basically, you've only got about half the public dismissing it, which... I guess, relates to the fact that it is quite clearly the case that there are uh, lots of people who do want to bring down Corbyn. Now, the fact that we're naming the the Israeli intelligence agency, I think, sort of pushes it beyond the bounds of what most people would think. But Mm. I guess this is sort of the territory of slightly credent among the public.
0: Yes, and what one in four Labour voters uh, think that this is either definitely or probably true. Yeah, because I think you're right. I think I think it's not implausible that there are uh, elements linked to the Israeli government, so like lobbying groups, let's say, that want to try and put a negative, that want, what, don't want Jeremy Corbyn to be prime minister. I think for Mossad to be doing something about it is, uh, yeah, a bit more implausible. But, but
1: also, there's a difference between don't want and actively doing stuff. I mean, you know, given that. The uh, the Conservative Party and much of the, the the mainstream media genuinely don't want Corbyn to be Prime Minister. They're in, in a very good position to do something about it by uh, publishing stories and um, doing commentary and stuff about him. you sort of think, well, what exactly is it that a foreign intelligence agency could be doing that those those groups aren't? So, sort of, I guess I'll push back a bit on the sort of, on the suggestion that maybe they are in some way involved at an arm's length. It's yeah. like, well, yeah, but what would you think that they're actually doing here?
0: Yeah, yeah. And the winner, Donald Trump, is being blackmailed uh, by the Russian government who have embarrassing video footage or financial information about him. 34% think that's true, and that goes into the 40s when we talk about Labour voters and Remain voters. 44% think it's false, 22% don't know. So this is one where actually um, you've got less than half thinking it's false. Um I mean, that, that again, I mean, when we, when we, to be to be fair, when we compare that to some of the others here, um, has the, has the, is, is the more plausible one, right? Um, I mean, it is outlandish, don't get me wrong, but it's not the moon landings being faked, you know, uh, chemtrails and climate change is a hoax. I mean, this is something that has at least some smoke about it, right? Even, I mean, even though I'm not, not sure I buy it, um, there was a great five thirty eight podcast about this, where each of the people uh, on that show had to sort of argue the case for a range of possibilities related to Trump. One was that it was all a, it was all nothing, and then right through to the the the, the, the Russians had a compromise uh, on Trump. But I suppose is it surprising this one wins? Trump's not very popular. Um, there is some degree of plausibility to it, whether you think it's true or not.
1: Well, exactly. I think the way you the way you've put it is right. I mean, what's striking here is that this is the first one that gets the majority, fifty three percent, picking one of the middle two. So probably true or probably false, fifty three percent. Which I guess sort of feels where the balance of punditry analysis is about it. I don't think there are. I don't think there's many people who are not closely linked with the Trump administration or strong supporters who are saying it's definitely false. I mean, I guess there are some people saying it's definitely true, but probably not that many because you know, there is no credible way uh, of how, saying How can it be definitely,
0: definitely true? Happening. Do you know what I mean? Like,
1: Exa- yeah, exactly. Until you've seen it, then. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, and I guess, I mean, there's something about the wording as well that being blackmailed by is quite difficult. There was a really good analysis in podcast podcasts of, um, uh, on the Talking Politics podcast where they kind of discuss how this might actually work. And I think the reality is it's probably more likely to be a complicated web of companies and um, sort of different business people across the country who might have uh, got some stuff on um, money laundering that he might have been involved in in the past. And, you know, it's it's not exactly explicitly blackmailed. There's not a brown envelope somewhere that is hanging over him, but it's sort of, yeah, he might the threat somewhere he's got to be careful because it could post problematic so yeah i think trying to paint it in a black and white this is happening or isn't is what is why i think yeah opinion is quite widely split here
0: yeah i always say about this that there's not going to be an email you know like vputin at gmail.com that says re 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 collusion let's collude (laughs) donald uh see you next week for our for your training um, or, or just a sort of link to a video that he's got or something. Yeah. You know, I think that there's, there's definitely smoke when it comes to the Russian government wanting Trump to win. They've already kind of acknowledged that. Um, if you look at some of the WikiLeaks stuff and and, and hacking the DNC and, and, and the leaks there, I mean, that for me, like that, that sort of relationship with, with Russia and so on, there's definitely more than a bit of smoke about that. Um, but then whether or not you know Donald Trump actively coordinated that is a completely different question. but it is notable to me that um, there's been a lot more of Trump and his surrogates talking about, how well collusion isn't really illegal anyway and did you know, and,
1: and there was no collusion to do collusion but he wasn't involved to uh, collusion fine
0: yeah it, maybe he was present but not actively involved but um <laughs> it, it was uh, Bring it right back to the beginning <laughs> full circle look at that segue um but you know i think that that don that don junior meeting does seem to be uh well, you yeah, know very much a smoking gun but i suppose it comes back to what we've been alluding to all along uh you know people people view these things through their partisan prism right um and we've seen before in a very different impeachment scenario with uh, with President Clinton. You know, it's very hard to get Congress not to vote along party lines on on these sorts of things. So, it just makes the midterms uh, that bit more interesting um that's all we've got time for, for this week's political betting polling matters podcast hope you all enjoyed a slightly different take uh on polls today um i think we missed a few uh conspiracy theories aliens being one i don't think we could really word that in a way that made sense but we might revisit in the future if we want to but if you like what you hear do share us on social media tell tell friends about us give us a positive rating or comment on itunes and other podcast apps it helps share the share the wealth share the uh, podcast and get get our name out there which is very uh, helpful still getting new listeners to this day four years in and that's uh, very much appreciated um but for now thanks for listening and have a good week